everyone. Welcome to the Film Fans Podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunleavy, joined by uh, Orlando uh, City jersey-clad Rob Dunham today. Yeah, it's, it's Purple Day, so we're wearing the purple jersey today. There you go. Nice. All right, we have an excellent episode for you. We are going to do a full breakdown on the... Uh, Thor Love and Thunder premiere coming out this week. We will discuss the previous movies and what we're expecting from this one. Uh, We're also going to get into reboots and how long you have to wait, which reboots have been successful and which not. So that should be fun. And of course, our watch list. All right, let's, uh, let's begin with the box office, though. Rob, interesting week for the box office. Uh, number one for this past week was Minions, The Rise of Gru. The animated kids movie made $107 million on its opening weekend. Quite the haul for Minions. Uh, the movie of the summer still kicking. Number two in the box office, Top Gun Maverick with another $25.9 million dollars. Elvis finished number three in its second week at 18.5. Jurassic World Dominion at four at 16.4 million. That is now over $330 million for its total run. Top Gun, by the way, is over 564 domestically and over a billion dollars internationally. And the Black Phone in its second week made 12.2 million for a total of 47 million there. Really solid top five this week, Rob. Yeah, it's, I'm pretty impressed by the Black Phone uh, making that amount of money in the second week. That's pretty good for a yeah. uh, horror, suspense, thriller movie, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Minions thing is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like uh, they get made fun of so much, but clearly it's a very popular brand. People are going to mm-hmm. go see it, especially now. I think um, how well this is doing really is an indication and we've been talking about this about people being comfortable with going back mm-hmm. to movies the fact this is doing so well i think is a strong indication that people with kids are feeling much more comfortable about coming back to a movie setting yeah. around other people um with how well it did did you see any of this uh tiktok trend around minions that um it, it's uh, interesting. I don't know if you. I, I did not. So, someone made a TikTok of them and a whole bunch of their friends, about twenty guys, all going to watch Minions dressed up in formal attire, aka tuxedos, <laughs> like for prom. <laughs> and uh, it became a trend, and people started doing it all across the country to the point that some theaters have banned teenagers in formal wear from attending screenings of Minions, The Rise of Gru. Why? <laughs> like, now, like, apparently... Of all the ways that teenagers could dress to show up in a movie, formal wear is what gets you? Apparently there is some more to this story in that some of these groups of people have been throwing bananas at the screen because That's of the Minions session bananas mm-hmm. and causing damage to equipment um but i don't believe that's how things started that was just kind of a an evolution a mutation of this formal trend if you will mm. um yeah so it's interesting what what happens now in our world around yeah. movie releases yeah. so apparently dressing up in tuxedos to go watch minions is now a thing uh, so this begs the question, Rob, have you ever attended movie in any kind of formal wear? I don't think so. I have to, you know, I have to get on that. Uh, I can say that I have attended a movie in a suit. Okay. And I did so dressed up as an agent for uh, the Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> I find that entirely believable. That is a thing that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I believe my brother was the one who came up with the idea. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, and uh, I keep I keep thinking we're going to see the week where Maverick falls off, but it just keeps not happening. Yeah, it just keeps chugging along. It's pretty impressive. Pretty soon, every single person in America will have seen uh, Top Gun Maverick uh, one point five times each. Uh, <laughs> uh, just enough. Children, just enough chances to go see Top Gun Maverick. Yes, that All is right. correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's a, that's the box office results, and uh, this leads us straight into uh, our next segment, which is opening this week: Thor: Love and Thunder. That is uh, the main thing, and pretty much the only thing coming in to the box office this week. And uh, I'm excited about this, Rob. I don't know how you're feeling about it. I'm very excited about Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, so to preview Thor Love and Thunder, I thought we could just take a take a step back and just go through a little bit of the, the Thor saga, as it were. So there have been three previous Thor movies, Thor, uh, Thor the Dark World and Thor Ragnarok prior to this. Of course, he has also been in the Avenger movies and such as well. So we've seen plenty of Thor and along with uh, some of the other MCU movies. Uh, but just sticking with the, the Thor solo movies, uh, we thought we'd revisit each of the three movies and just kind of go through uh, each of their strengths and weaknesses and just talk about the movies themselves. So let's start with uh, the original Thor. Uh, Rob, what would you, uh, what, what did you make of the original Thor movie? Uh, and, and what for you were the best and worst parts about it? Um, to me, I think that uh, the best thing that Thor, the first movie did was tell a really good fish out of water story. Hmm. around Thor and I think a lot of that was based on the fact that um, he was not a known commodity mm -hmm. in the Marvel Cinematic Universe at that point people didn't really have a huge connection to him they didn't know who he was but at the same time um, in uh, Captain America when that was Captain America correct at the end of the movie they show the um, the stinger at the end of the movie was the hammer in the desert I think was, that was Captain America or Iron Man. I don't remember. It was one of them. And there is uh, that, just that shot of the hammer in the desert and Coulson on the phone saying, we found it. Mm -hmm. um, I know that people were like freaking out about that as soon as they saw it, if they knew anything about the comics and the characters in uh, Marvel, because they knew instantly what that meant, that there was going to be uh, something to do with Thor coming. Um, I will say that I think that that strength is also kind of its biggest weakness in that there's not really much of a, an emotional connection to Thor yet for most people um, when this movie happens. So some of the humor, I think some of the um, more serious nature of things seems to lack a little depth or just gravity just because you don't have that connection to the character yet. You haven't mm -hmm. developed that relationship in, uh, and I don't, I don't think the, that development is as quick as for instance, um, Iron Man, the way they develop. I think they develop a really quick emotional connection for you with Iron Man's character in the first Iron Man movie. And I don't necessarily think it happens as quick in Thor. Um, but that's also partly due to the fact that you're dealing with like a mystical otherworldly place colliding with earth. So there's a whole mm. lot of stuff going on. Maybe there's so much stuff going on that it's hard to boil it down to that kind of simple connection. So that's, that's how, how I've always felt about it. Not that it's, I, I still think it's a pretty good movie, mm -hmm. um, but I think there's a lot of information that if you didn't have the comic book background um, can be hard to digest and really understand what's happening right away with uh, the first Thor movie. Uh, for me, I really, really liked the first Thor movie. 
And I think the thing I liked about it best was it has one of the best character development story arcs of any of the MCU movies. Uh, it is a complete character story arc. It really is. The point of the movie is the development of Thor, the char- the character, the person, the leader. When he shows up in the original, he's very, very powerful, very strong, and very, very arrogant. And through the sequence of events where he gets stripped of the hammer, he gets uh, banished to Earth, and... Uh, and Loki confuses him and tricks him into thinking his father is actually dead. Uh, so he's dealing with he's dealing with the loss of his identity, the loss of his power, and realizing that a lot of it is his fault. And you get to see him internalize that and and work to change that uh, that aspect of his character to the point where he becomes a very selfless individual. Uh, I really like the way they brought that along and developed that aspect of his character. And I think, um, as you were saying, it was hard to relate to Thor itself. I think that connection to the person of Thor really came about. And it was, I think it was really good because what you initially see of him, you don't necessarily like because of how arrogant he is. Um, <clears throat> but he, he gets so much more relatable when he comes to Earth. And he's interacting, like you were saying, the fish out of water elements, um, which is also what derives a lot of the humor in the movie, uh, mm-hmm. which is quite good at times. It's quite, quite good. Uh, one of my favorite, one of my favorite little scenes is when he's in the cafe and he finishes the coffee and just swipes the cup off the table and breaks it and asks for another one. Yes, chucks it down. I have another. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's that is one of my favorite scenes too. It's really, really good. Uh, I think the um, I think the other the other scene I really like is when uh, him and Eric uh, Selvig are out, and Eric gets himself drunk, and Thor has to haul has to haul him back into the trailer. And uh, yeah, that that was pretty good. I, I enjoyed that scene as well. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so I, I thought it was a great start to the character. Um, Natalie Portman was excellent in that movie as well. Um, that was an excellent choice uh, to play Jane Foster. And I think the two of them played off each other really well. Um, their, I think it was believable. Their, their connection and their uh, romance was believable, as it were. And, and you, could, you really cared about it in the moment. Uh, what's it, what, anything else to that before we move on to Dark World? I think we can move on. All right, let's move on to the Dark World. Uh, so the Dark World is the least acclaimed of the three Thor movies coming into this. Uh, so Rob, what did you make of it? Strengths or weaknesses uh, of the Dark World? What did you think of it? So I think that generally, as far as the story goes, the story is decent. Mm-hmm. But I think that the problem with this movie is the tone Mm -hmm. because I think that the tone is set to be really dark, but there's not for me, there's not really like, even though, you know, it's, it's the earth that's being threatened and whatever, it doesn't feel like the stakes are that high through most of the movie. So you've got this dark tone, but it's like, yeah, but he's going to take care of things Mm -hmm. (laughs) kind of. It's hard. It's hard to take it the threat super seriously, and I think that um, causes the the movie to have a struggle. I don't know if it's just because of the amount of CGI that's used, like the settings on the different planets, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Maybe it's it's too out there um, to really connect. But I I I just don't think that the tone they were going for lands the way they were hoping it would with this movie. Yeah. It just, it just has a weird kind of feel to it. It just doesn't seem like it didn't seem to carry some of the best aspects of the first Thor movie and the Thor character over as well. It didn't translate as well. I think partially too, I don't think the dark elves are really, 
they don't land as the bad guy. They just don't you like you're not you're never really that scared of the dark elves. There's just I mean the initial even initially they the your initial uh view of the dark elves is them being defeated by uh the all father's father himself. So the first your first mention of them is when them when they're getting defeated. And and so there's just not I don't think that there's an element of a real, like you're saying, a real threat that the dark elves would ever really win. Um, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't quite land the way I think they were wanting to. And you're right. The tone was too, I don't, I don't want to say, I don't know if it was too dark. I would say it's not balanced. It's not balanced. And it didn't bring you the best of what uh, in particular, Chris Hemsworth can bring to that character. It doesn't bring out the best aspects of that. Um, there's not the humor element that he does so well. Uh, there's just not, it's not there. You see, a, you see at the beginning of the movie, you see a kind of a, a love, a love sick brooding Thor. Um, it's just, yeah. Yeah, there's not there's there's not the elements of the character that really really make it work in the other movies that there is in this one. Um, anything any uh, any memorable scenes from it for you? Any anything that you liked about uh, the Dark World? I mean, the scenes where the spaceships are crashing into the Earth are kind of cool, mm -hmm. um, just from a visual standpoint. But like I said, it just doesn't resonate the way that they were probably hoping it would mm -hmm. i think for me the standouts uh if from the dark world are are the female characters uh thor's mother uh is really really good and of course natalie portman um very well done very well acted i think they're they're the heroes of this particular story in particular his mother um and i you can just tell the 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 weight and the gravitas that natalie portman brings to that character is just obvious when she's on the screen and and she is definitely a strength for that movie even though uh it's not a great movie i think her character stands out and, and most of the best scenes involve her yep i can't disagree with that yeah uh, okay, let's move on to uh, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, strengths and and weaknesses of Thor Ragnarok. What what did what did you make of it? So I don't know if I've ever actually gone through and made a list, but this has to be near the top of the Marvel movies, if not the top. And I probably think if I went back and made a list, it would be my favorite. Mm. Um, there are honestly very little things I can even think of to say that are, are we as weaknesses in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think it might be about as perfect of a superhero movie as you can make. Not yeah. that that makes it like a masterpiece or anything, but for the genre that it's in, I think it's probably the best it's been done. Mm -hmm. um, and that would include like DC, Marvel, whatever. Um, I, I probably the only thing that rivals it even to me is um, the Dark Knight, and that's an entirely different like tone. Yeah. But when it comes to like the humor, fast-paced action, um, visual design elements of a uh, superhero universe, no, no movie has done it better than this movie. And I, I don't think that's really debatable, honestly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's so good on so many levels. Um, I think what Waititi, the director, did was he took he took the elements that they had laid from the first Thor movie that got neglected in the second movie, and then he punched them all up to eleven. <laughs> and 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 he did it in all the best ways. Um, there are so many memorable scenes. There's so much humor from almost all of the characters. Uh, from Loki to Thor 
So even even they got so much personality and character out of the Hulk in that film. Uh, Jeff Goldblum was great. There's just there's so much to it, and um, and you did have real stakes. You you did have as we were talking about the Dark World, the the believability wasn't there. There was much. There was a much better. Uh, sense of danger and there were actual consequences as a result of Thor Ragnarok and and what was happening in those moments and so you you got the sense that there was something real at stake in that movie and yeah so many memorable things about it uh what what are some of your favorite scenes um so I think the one that a lot of people would point to is the arena battle scene between mm-hmm. Thor and the Hulk. Uh, it's just great when he comes out and says, I know him. <laughs> We're friends from work. It's great. <laughs> uh, that whole build up to that where they're like, this dude's going to destroy you. Like you have mm-hmm. no chance against our champion. Blah, blah, blah. And that turns out to be the Hulk is just, it's great. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh the oh what was it was named crag or korg korg, uh, korg the rock guy mm-hmm. uh that uh that scene where he's talking about creating his insurrection yeah that's great he's is, is pretty is pretty is pretty awesome i mean it's classic Waititi, but it's 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 absolutely incredible um the the interplay between loki and thor is really good in this one and uh, I really, I really enjoy that and, and those scenes. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Uh, I mean, the whole the whole battle scene um, where the monster comes to take over Asgard is pretty spectacular and stunning yes. visually too. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think. This movie excels at everything it attempts to do. Yeah. Is not easy for a superhero movie to do. I got to say, the only thing I don't really like about it is I'm just not a fan of Tessa Thompson. Mm. It's not. I've seen her in a number of things. She's in a number of things I really like, and I'm just not a fan of her. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I I think she's always playing that like semi-dislikable angry attitude type character mm-hmm. and i just i just don't i just don't get i'm not in i'm not in, i'm not into the vibe as it were mm-hmm. oh the and the other one the other scene that i really like is when they're back in uh they're back in uh the hulk's chambers and him and thor are semi arguing about uh about who's who's stronger and who's better uh, that that whole exchange is pretty great. Uh, okay, so that is our recap of the first three movies. Uh, one one thing I do want to want to hit up one more question on on, on those three movies. Uh, what do you think about the evolution of Thor the character through through the movies? Uh, how do you feel like that character has evolved since it was introduced? Well, like I said, I think you see a very clear progression from a character who is like thrown to Earth, who is completely unaware of his connection with the people there, um, how to relate to them, how to understand them. And you see that grow and develop a lot of it probably due to the relationship he has with Jane that makes him care about her. So by extension, he begins to care about other people. And then I think when he finds and realizes he can respect uh, some of the other people who are part of the Avengers, um, that's when you see him really start to get more comfortable in his own skin. And um, I like how as the movies progress more and more, the humor starts to come out with his character. So I'm really interested in seeing how that will go in this movie because uh, the the new one it looks like there's a lot of that humor but it also looks like there's a pretty um like disturbing villain in it too so i'm very interested in seeing the 
cross play those two things, um, how they work in conjunction with each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the main, the main thing you can sum up Thor's character development over the series of movies and along the way in the MCU is just teamwork. Um, you see him in particular, he shows up in the first Avengers movie and he's just completely trying to go it alone and trying to do, he just thinks he's above everybody going, going entirely alone. And you get to see him evolve through, through that to be much more of a teamwork person. Um, even to the point where in the, uh, in the final Avengers movie, uh, the team actually has to literally get him off the couch and get him gear. Uh, and, and just that he now understands that he needs others and he needs people. And I think that's, that has humanized his character as it were over the course of the series. Okay. Uh, so now let's, let's preview, let's preview Thor love and thunder. What do, what do we know? And what are we expecting and hoping for, uh, for this movie? So we know that, uh, I just mentioned this, that there is a fairly, it looks like serious bad guy, um, in this movie played by Christian Bale. Mm -hmm. Um, what I found fascinating, what we've seen in the trailers, looks like a lot of the world around him is in black and white. Um, so how, how will that relate to the Thor world, which is the opposite <laughs> of that? And what is that going to look like cinematically? I'm very interested in seeing what they do with the editing and cinematography um, of this movie and this character coming into this world. Um, and we have a whole new thing that the uh, Olympus gods are going to be in this as well. So Zeus, etc. Mm -hmm. um, because the bad guys apparently going after them. So I'm very intrigued by where they're going to go with all this. Yeah. Uh, we also know that Natalie Portman is back and she will be the new ish Thor along those lines uh a bunch of the other characters are back tessa thompson is playing valkyrie uh korg ytd is voicing korg again russell crowe is in it as zeus jamie alexander is back as sif uh and of course you have the guardians of the galaxy characters are in this movie as well uh which includes chris pratt dave batista mantis nebula um, vin diesel is still playing Groot for some reason highlight of Vin Diesel's career getting to say I am Groot over and over and over again uh, but so it's a it's a big cast it's a bigger cast than what we've seen for some of the other Thor movies because Thor has had been primarily the one in space uh, when everyone else was relatively landlocked on earth most of his previous movies did not involve a significant amount of the other uh, characters from the MCU. This one's going to be different in that manner. As you're saying, Christian Bale is intriguing as a bad guy. He always throws 110% into every single movie he plays. And I'm looking forward to seeing him as a bad guy again. Um, I think you're going to get a ridiculous amount of humor as well as serious balance. Uh, so the question is, uh, the question is for me is how is that going to play out? Uh, is YTD going to be able to get the balance right? I think if there's one thing he's shown as a director, it's his ability to balance serious content with humor. I mean, look no further than, um, oh, now I'm blanking out on his, on the name. Uh, Jojo, Jojo Rabbit. Jojo Rabbit. Like you cannot have a finer, nice edge to balance on than when you're trying to do humor elements around Hitler and the Nazis and he pulled it off. So, I mean, if he can do that, he can do this. Um, I think, I think what I am hoping for on this front is I'm hoping to get a better glimpse or better vision of what the goal of the next realm of the MCU is. I feel like we're still treading water in terms of where these movies are headed 
and, and what's next. And it feels like every single movie we're like, is this one going to tell us what's next? Is this one going to tell us what's next? And it just, it's not happening. And uh, it just feels like they're really treading water at this point uh, with so many of their big characters uh, gone. And this is one of the big properties they have left, you know, with Chris Hemsworth playing Thor along with Dr. Strange and of course, Spider-Man. Um, so I'm hope I'm hoping we get a little bit of a sense of what's coming next. And I, I don't know if we're going to get it, but that's what I'm hoping for. What, what are you hoping for for this? Movie? Uh, I'm just excited to see more of uh, Waikiki's vision because mm-hmm. Ragnarok was just so good. I have no reason to believe this won't be as good. Um, that's, that's a pretty high bar. So um, I'm really hoping it lives up to expectations and um, looking forward to going to a movie, just enjoying visual spectacle and, um, you know, not, not taking it super seriously. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a superhero movie. And I think, yeah. I think the superhero movies in general have gotten a lot of, um, a lot of negative reaction from people who are looking at them like any other movie. And I think that with every movie genre, you have to kind of look at it a little bit differently. You can't judge a horror movie the same way you're going to judge a superhero movie, the same way you're going to judge a two hour long drama. Um, And I, having seen how good Ragnarok was, I, I have high expectations um, for this. What, what are your thoughts on, what the box office might look like for this movie. Um, I think it's going to be huge. I really do. I think it's going to be big. I think the anticipation for this is high. Um, my, I'm going to go with 125 million. I don't think it's going to quite hit what uh, Top Gun Maverick did, uh, but I'm, I'm going to go with 125 million. I'm going to go even higher than that. I think, I think 150 million. Okay. Um, I like you said, this is the maybe between this and Spider-Man. These are the two remaining huge um, Marvel properties, and I think a lot of people have been looking forward to this movie for a while. Mm-hmm. So i I think it will I think it will do really well. So um, we will see. Obviously, Minions is still going to be out. That's at one hundred seven million. His first week, although I don't think I don't think it'll be anywhere. I think it'll have a pretty significant drop off um, this week. I think I do think a, a decent amount of people who would see Minions would probably also see Thor. So I think you're gonna um, lose some people from the Minion audience to the to the Thor audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think more of the Thor audience would come from anyone. I mean, I just I think you're gonna see a real drop off from. Uh, particular Jurassic world and Mm -hmm. probably from Elvis too. I think you'll see a significant drop off there. I would say you'd see a significant drop off from Maverick, but we haven't seen one yet. So why not? Um, Yeah, it will be interesting. Um, I I think for me, the thing I'm most anticipating about this is I think the word you mentioned earlier is just enjoyment. This is a movie that I'm anticipating just being able to go to, relax and enjoy enjoy the movie not not having to worry about what's going to happen this or what just or even or even to just deeply think about it but just to go relax and enjoy it and have fun i think that's that's what this movie promises and that's what i'm hoping it delivers okay that is our preview of thor love and thunder uh, go out and see that this week coming out in theaters. If you want to see it, there will be shows Thursday night. Uh, and uh, of course, Friday and all weekend going forward. Uh, so make sure you go out and see it. Uh, so let's move on to our second discussion item. And this is coming out of, uh, we're going to talk about reboots. And this is coming from me out of, I've been reading uh, the book on Christopher Nolan called The Nolan Variations. And it goes through, there's like a chapter devoted to each one of his films. And it kind of talks through his thought process and what he was thinking. And there's a fascinating passage in this book where he was talking about Batman Begins. And he said, um, 
it was only eight years from the previous Batman when they released Batman Begins. And he said at the time, it just wasn't enough time. It wasn't enough time between when the last movie was and this one. And he said, I didn't really even take into consideration that there'd be a lot of people who are like, oh, there's a new Batman. Well, I didn't like the last Batman. And and he was surprised by the the level of that. And he also made the comment is, you know, that was the first time in terms that he can remember this. He believes that this was the first time the term reboot was ever used was in conjunction with Batman Begins, which I think is fascinating. I don't know if that's true or not, but he was he was indicating that he believes that's the first time that the actual the term reboot was used. Um. And he, he made the comment that nowadays reboots happen significantly more quickly. So I, that's, that's kind of where I wanted to start with this is uh, now to give you kind of definition, reboot means to take a franchise and to restart it, essentially. Uh, they had a certain number of movies in a specific direction. There was a pause and then they completely went in a different direction. Uh, usually with different actors, different uh, characters. Sometimes they do redo the origin story, that type of thing. But a completely new cast, a completely new direction. Um, that's basically what a reboot is. And so I thought we'd start with just talking about timing of reboots. Uh, what do you make of, of the time gap necessary for a successful reboot? And how do you think about Nolan's comments about how it used to be you needed a much longer time frame and you don't now? Yeah, I would say that um, ideally um, somewhere close to 20 years, if not more, is good. Because mm. um, a couple of the one, I would look through the list here and a couple of ones that I think were really successful, not necessarily they were great movies, but they were successful in rebooting um were godzilla and mad max were two that mm. stood out to me and godzilla um God, godzilla is interesting to me in the same way that i kind of look at james bond mm. movies i don't know if you can call them reboots or if it's just like a further iteration of what's already happened yeah. Because, I mean, you have the Daniel Craig Bond movies, which are their own thing, obviously, but mm-hmm. is that like, it's, it didn't like completely change the story of James Bond, like they add on to the story of James Bond, kind of like, it's kind of what Godzilla does too, a little bit. Um, but this this recent um, trilogy of movies around Godzilla have a completely different tone than the movie that came out in 1998. Mm-hmm. with matthew roderick like it's, it, there's no comparison it's it's a whole different universe um and i think so i think that that can be really effective when you're trying to affect that kind of tone change um and i they did a really good job with that not necessarily the godzilla king of the monsters movies are great but they're i think they're good and they're way different than what had come before in the americanized attempts Mm-hmm. um godzilla and then i i really do think that mad max the 2015 movie might be the the primary example of doing a reboot well yeah um, rebooting the mad max series which the last movie in that series came out in 1985 um mad max beyond thunderdome yeah um there were three movies in that series uh starring mel gibson that was the last one mm-hmm. um that one is to me is like a complete reboot because it's the same character, but the entire story has changed. And you could say that it's like, it's just the outworking of where the story of the original ones was going, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it, it really does feel like a different universe. And I think that having that gap, the 30 year gap, I think a lot of people went and saw Mad Max Fury Road because they remembered the old one worse in it, but I also think a lot of people like us went and saw it because we like um oh gosh. <laughs> Jared, who who's who's Mad Max again? Why am I oh. uh, the actor? Yeah. Of course now I can't come up with it either. 
Uh, yeah, we were on a movie podcast. We do. Uh, Tom, Tom Hardy. Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. I think a lot of us went and saw Mad Max because we like Tom Hardy and Charlie's their own and we're interested in seeing them in this movie. But um, seeing that character, at least I went back and watched the old ones after. Uh, and a lot of there are a lot of little things in the new one that were taken from the old one, like a lot of the cinematography editing choices with some of the fast-paced action, like fast-forwarded action, was a thing from the old movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the tone was similar. Uh, it helps that George Miller was like the guy on all of them. <laughs> yeah. So like, it, you could tell that it was his vision still coming through in the in the new movie. Um, so I just think that was a really good example of when it can be done well, because you still have the, the people who have watched and like the old ones having that connection, but then you bring in a whole nother audience. So your, your, your suggestion is you need at least 20 years for a good reboot. Is that, that's I'm not saying not here. needed, but it's like, <laughs> that, that seems to be a really good spot. Like the Godzilla, um, difference is 16 years yeah so i i think you're like at least a decade i think if but like i like i said i don't really count james bond in that yeah, that's slightly different years. because it's been it's what they do they've established a pattern of reboot like that is part of the that is now part of the franchise is that every every so often it gets rebooted? So I do think that's slightly in a different class. Um, yeah, for me, I think the timing on reboots does vary a little bit, uh, but I will say that I'm pretty sure it needs to be longer than it's currently than it currently is uh, with most reboots now. Uh, with everything, the time frame is just compressed and gotten so much shorter with everything. So I agree with Christopher Nolan on that aspect. Uh, what was considered distance from a from a series or from a franchise uh, 15, 20 years ago is not even close to what it is now. Um, primary example is Batman. I mean, Batman has been rebooted three times in the last 15 years. That is too much. Uh, the separation between the Christopher Nolan Batman and uh, the Batman of um, Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck, <laughs> and uh, and and in the Henry Cavill Superman model uh, was very different, and the time, especially with the legacy the Batman movies from Christopher Nolan had. I think that's part of what you have to take into mind is on if I think you need a longer time frame if the movies that preceded it preceded the reboot were either really good or really bad. I think you need a little bit of a break. Um, if they were really good, you need that legacy to kind of go away as it were, not not go away as in the sense of people forget the movies, but there's a long enough distance that people are hungry for something different. Uh, the biggest problem that Ben Affleck Batman had was that everyone instantaneously compared it back to Christopher Nolan. And there's not a chance it was ever going to hold up. And with, um, I think, you know, what Christopher Nolan ran into with, uh, his trilogy was the fact that the previous Batman movies were just so atrocious uh, by the end. They were so ridiculous on their face that it nearly killed the entire superhero genre. <laughs> it was that bad. Uh, so I think you need that. And I think certain franchises benefit uh, from different timelines. And I think the, the classic example for this is the difference between, I think, the MCU and Star Wars. I think Star Wars benefits greatly from a short burst of movies and a long gap. I think that has done really well for the franchise. Whereas the MCU really depends on having regular releases. Uh, so if, when it comes to reboots, I think there is a little bit of time frame difference on this, but I think it needs to be greater than what they're giving it right now. I think 
honestly, I think minimum of five years for some of these things. I think you need a minimum of five years. So I, I think uh, one movie that falls into the category you're saying if some movies are not great following it up too quickly can make the movie kind of get lost and that's how i feel about a movie that came out last year which i thought was pretty good but Mm. um didn't get a lot of recognition Mm. resident evil welcome to raccoon city i think is a pretty good movie but it is so um so tied in most people's minds probably to what came out um just in 2016 was the last um resident evil installation with uh mila jovovich mila jovanovich um and those movies were not really that good (laughs) and definitely focused on like the techno um like uh I don't know really how to describe it, but it just feels like techno zombie. <laughs> it's not <laughs> feel like it should be described. Um, and Welcome to Raccoon City was, was a lot more grounded, and I felt like it was a really decently made movie. Um, but I think it got lost because it's only been five years. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people probably heard Resident Evil and were just like, oh, another one of those. You know, instead of realizing it was a completely different direction and it actually went like all the way back to the origins of the game and everything like that, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. So did you come up with, we can, we can do some of these on the positives end, and if you have a couple on the negative end, you come up with ones, I know you've mentioned one or two already, but what, what do you think has been some of the most successful reboot franchises? Well, I, like I said, I, I think the ones I already mentioned are the ones that are on top of my list, like Mad Max. Uh, yeah. Fury Road going mm-hmm. off of um, the original Mad Max, uh, Roadhouse, and Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a, it's a really good movie. I think a lot of people were surprised by it. I know I was. Um, I don't watch, I don't enjoy a lot of action movies. This is probably my favorite action movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think it was really well done how they brought a whole bunch of different elements together to create the world they intended to build yeah um, it definitely felt like another world um and i do think that the godzilla movies have done a decent job um changing the narrative around godzilla and now adding in um the king kong storyline too mm-hmm. the last movie was the congress is godzilla um movie which i enjoyed and i do think that like I said, when it comes to movies like this, you're not judging them based on the whole of movies. You're judging them based on that genre. Like monster movies are its own thing. Yeah. And I just think these movies are way better than the Godzilla mm-hmm. that came out in 1998. Yeah. And I think that I think that waiting till 2014, I think they gave it enough time for people to kind of move on mm-hmm. from the 1998 version. Yeah. Um, for me, I think uh, underrated, really successful reboot was the the Star Trek reboot mm. with um, Chris Pine as as Captain Kirk, and that was a hard reboot because there was no TV show that was associated with those character, those specific characters, and those actors playing those characters as there was with. Uh, the original Star Trek movies and then follow that up with the four Star Trek, the next generation movies. So the cold reboot uh, with a brand new cast, I thought it was really highly successful in particular, that first movie Star Trek was really, really good. And, um, and one, and one Star Trek fans over that were slightly skeptical as to how that was going to go. Now the second movie uh, proved to be a little bit more divisive, depending on who you are. Um, and the third movie was decent as well. Uh, but I thought that was really, they did a good job rebooting that. Um, another one, I just think all the iterations of Spider-Man were good in their own way. Um, and there's a bunch of reasons why they had to reboot that a couple times. Uh, but I thought, I thought all of them were successful. And I, I like all of those movies. And as we saw with the last Spider-Man movie, uh, really did a good job of tying them all back together. Uh, but those reboots were good. Um, and of, of course, I think the king of reboots was was what the, the Dark Knight trilogy with Christopher Nolan following up on 
some of the worst superhero movies, the end of the previous run of Batman movies. Um, anything that you feel like doesn't, you got any negatives, like terrible reboots? Uh, I don't think, I don't think uh, some of the Bond movies have been great. If you want to <laughs> get into that, looking at you, Pierce Brosnan. Um, <laughs> I, I think any movie series that's going to have a ton of movies in that i could argue um how good or not good the newest three star wars movies were mm-hmm. um i think too is gonna you know people people are attached to these movies and there's a legacy to them and um they expect their them to meet a certain level mm-hmm. and they just don't for some people um so i think it's always going to be a personal taste thing when it comes to whether a reboot was successful or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I think, I think when you look at ones that didn't work, I think you can pretty much start and end with the fantastic four. Um, They tried to reboot that series twice and had no success in either time. Um, How much of that is nobody just, nobody wants to relate to those characters at all. I don't know. Um, even, you know, sometimes characters just don't work in terms of their own films. I and mean, we've even seen some of that in the MCU with um, the fact that the MCU basically pretends that their, their Hulk movie doesn't exist. Mm. And that, I mean, there's been two Hulk movies and they've never followed up with any of that. I mean, there was the whole thing with, you know, Edward Norton, who originally played the Hulk, hated the edit of the film so bad he refused to be in any of the other movies, which led to them having to recast Mark Ruffalo and then pretend the other, that movie doesn't exist. Um, it's really interesting. It's it's like it's not in the it's not in the MCU canon at all. Like you go into Disney Plus and it's not in their run of movies for the. Mm-hmm. Or the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's just not there. <laughs> so that reboot really didn't work. Um, and I would say another one, which I don't know why it hasn't been more successful, but they've twice tried to reboot the Jack Ryan character after um, after Harrison Ford. And mm-hmm. it hasn't really worked either time even though I kind of like each individual movie, like they rebooted it with Ben Affleck and when the sum of all fears, and then they rebooted again with Chris Pine, uh, Jack Ryan shadow recruit. And I really like Jack Ryan shadow recruit, but they've never made any other movies off of those. So they clearly didn't work well enough for them to do that. Uh, even though I kind of like those movies. So I wonder if there's just something about the character tied to Harrison Ford that, prevented that character from going any further all right well that is our discussion of reboots if you have any favorite reboots let us know uh now we'll move on to our watch list movies we've watched over the past week rob would you watch i don't know if you've seen this movie so i'm very interested in your reaction but i finally i say finally with trepidation Mm. um saw mother exclamation point Oh, okay. Have you seen Mother? I, I've, I started watching it once, and I got interrupted and never went back to it. Uh, but yeah, it's still on my list of ones I want to finish. Uh, but it's a very controversial movie. It is the, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. Um, Aaron Aronofsky has had uh, has had some humdingers, uh, as it were. <laughs> I I think it does a very I feel like there is a strong allegory in this movie. Mm. But I don't know it just it's it, it it's just not a good movie overall. Mm. Um there seems to be some stuff in here that's just in in it to shock you. Um there's some disturbing things in it. It's definitely not a movie for probably anyone under the age of 21. <laughs> um, there's a full scale war that breaks out in this family's house at one point. Like it's just like with riot shields and guns and police and thousands of people running through their house. I, 
I can't really describe most of what happens in the movie. Like you just kind of have to watch it. In fact, my, my best friend, Jen had said it was the worst thing she had ever seen. And then Hmm. I asked her to read me the story synopsis of the movie. Hmm. And she read me the synopsis and I was like, none of that could possibly be real or in a movie. I need to see this. <laughs> and I watched it and all of it happens. And uh, yeah, um, if you're into a movie where the heart of the house is a giant green crystal that gives everything life. Um, and Jennifer Lawrence can hear the heartbeat of the house. And also, apparently, Javier Bardem is God the Father, Jennifer Lawrence is the holy spirit and the baby they have is jesus Mm. at least that's what i got out of the allegory portion of things i think that there are some pretty clear ties to that but i also think there are some there there are some if that's the case there are some things that are really either just really interesting commentaries or just completely twisted commentaries on what um the function of god is uh but i i really it it's impossible to watch if you have that background. It's impossible to watch this movie and not see the allegory in it. It's mm. um, it's crazy, but a lot of it is drawn out of trying to explain some kind of story that way. Interesting. And I'm not really sure what Darren was trying to say <laughs> necessarily, and that's probably. Uh, for me that's probably the greatest failing or the the thing that makes the movie the hardest to um wrap my arms around is just if if you if the message is not going to be clear enough to understand then your allegory probably didn't succeed yeah now some now there would be people that argue with that Mm-hmm. I tend to I tend to be on your side of this. There are some people that say uh, if it's left open to interpretation, everyone comes to their own conclusion. That's fine for art. I am not on that camp, especially when it comes to movies that much. This was another thing with the Green Knight that some people didn't like about the Green Knight is that it left some things open to interpretation. Um, there is room for that at times, but yeah. Um, this is this is also the movie that some people have uh, have proclaimed was the death of Jennifer Lawrence's career. <laughs> <laughs> she has not had a hit movie, and since she was in Mother, uh, everything else has been a flop. I don't know. Um, for me, I saw Batman Begins as as I've been reading through the Christopher Nolan book. When I complete a chapter about a specific movie, I have to go back and watch the movie. Uh, having heard Nolan's specific commentary about it. And a couple things that I, I learned that really stick out in this is uh, the initial scene, especially when they're, uh, he is fighting what, who we know as uh, Ra's al Ghul, uh, when he is he's fighting that scene on the ice, that is the exact same glacier that he returned to later for Interstellar. Hmm. So when you watch Batman Begins, you're like, oh, yeah, obviously it looks it's it's the same landscape. You know, it's it's really it's really interesting uh, that he would do that. And uh, he keeps talking about the studio kept coming to him during this movie is like, is it big enough? Is it big enough? They were concerned that it wouldn't be big enough. And I get that from a standpoint of even though it's it's wide ranging all across the world there's lots of things happening at every one time i still feel like it's shot very narrowly you get a lot of close ups a lot of there's not a lot of space in each individual shot when you look at it from a cinematographic standpoint um, everyone is zoomed in and even you're not seeing a lot of background in the character. So you, most of the scenes, you don't get a great sense of, of the space around that. And it was interesting because he talked about the fact they did a lot of this stuff in a studio. Like they built, a, they built these street sets in a studio. And he was saying it's really not ideal to get a sense of scale from shooting some of these things in a studio. And I can sense that like they, I think the movie struggled a little bit with scale. 
uh, which they absolutely corrected in the dark night. Uh, but it's still a fantastic film um, from the standpoint of introducing a Batman character that had a real point of view uh, and especially establishing that idea that, and I think the biggest takeaway from this movie is that Batman is who is the true character and Bruce Wayne is the mask. Mm-hmm. So really, really good movie. All right. You got anything else, Rob? I do not. All right. Let's wrap it up. Thanks everyone for tuning in to film for fans. Uh, just a quick note. If you've been looking for us on YouTube, I've been having issues uploading our videos to YouTube. Hopefully this week I'll be able to get this one up. Um, for whatever reason, YouTube was just giving me all kinds of problems lately. Uh, so hopefully this one will be up on YouTube, but, uh, always check out filmforfans.com. and until next time, enjoy the movies. <laughs>